0: This week, I'm honored to have two incredible, mission-driven entrepreneurs on the podcast. The husband and wife co-founders behind the pioneering brand Epic Provisions, Katie Forrest and Taylor Collins. You probably are all aware of the brand Epic Provisions as it's found in retailers across the country, but you might not know about the why behind the brand. How Katie suffered from a number of unidentifiable health issues and went from a vegan Ironman triathlete to a paleo entrepreneur. Katie and Taylor are also extraordinarily passionate about regenerative agriculture, which makes for healthy soil, more nutritious food, and can literally help save our planet. It's an honor to have them here today. Katie, Taylor, welcome.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: So great to have you guys here all the way from one of my favorite cities, Austin, Texas.
1: Yeah, we're excited to be here. We've never actually been to Brooklyn. Oh, wow. This is where it's at. I know.
0: Austin's like the Brooklyn of Texas.
1: Exactly. Um well, well I I think about it the other way, like Brooklyn. and my Oh that well. Okay, okay, that's <laughs> fair. Um, yeah. So it's a cool place.
0: You guys are husband and wife, co founders, uh, and have an interesting story. And let let's let's dial it back to what what I've heard, what I've read is this, this serendipitous like meeting of the eyes back in high school that led to the Empire of Epic. And your relationship and and family and all that good
2: stuff. That sounds like I might have uh, told that story because I've been known to exaggerate at times. But (laughs) I think it's just uh, completely accurate. He's a good storyteller. Katie's memory has faded since then. But um, when we first saw each other, I was a senior in high school. Katie was a young freshman, off limits. But I could at least um, remember one day specifically... Uh, taking a bathroom pass from class, walking down the hallway, seeing Katie on the other end of a long hallway, locking eyes, and just feeling something so powerful, both internally and externally, it was the first time I had felt anything like that. It was a force of nature that just shook me, and I was panicking. I was no no way was I about to talk to her. But we were walking cl- closer and closer and closer, and then when we passed, it was just a sonic boom. And you know, again, that was that was weird. But uh, <laughs> didn't see or really talk to Katie until probably yeah five years after that.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, we both went to the same college, and we. Similar. Like, How
0: did you experience that moment? Yeah, true or false? Okay. Do you have the same? What's your <laughs> What's your take false. on that moment? I
1: wanted to have called it a supersonic boom. Is that what you call it? Um, but I would have said it was definitely like uh, a, a memory that I that I hold close to my heart. I definitely recall the moment of walking past this hallway and being like, "I this is super weird. I have a boyfriend, but I'm like super attracted to this guy." <laughs> Avert eyes. Um, so yeah. I sonic boom was is, is forbidden like a, yeah it's forbidden love
2: i think possibly katie and i have uh, been together in previous lifetimes and that's why it was so powerful and it was
1: a um, reconnection in this lifetime
2: yeah that's the first time we reconnected i'll have to bring shaman derek
0: on the podcast to confirm that yes but, so but it was so it was five years so time passes and then you're find yourselves at college together the rest is history
1: Pretty much. We had another passing, um, this time in a park, uh, with geese, uh, like mean geese.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wild geese um, in this area called Sewell Park, really beautiful Texas Hill Country, right by the San Marcos River. And um, Katie and I had to cross paths between classes again, but this time we shared our walkway with a bunch of wild geese. And you know I think both of us were afraid of the geese but we thought that was maybe a little bit silly and so we always just tried to kind of pick up our step um, as we'd walk towards each other and hope that we didn't get swarmed or flocked or attacked uh, but no geese ever uh, came after us but uh, we started seeing each other again and then Katie just randomly called me one day after my birthday or no it was actually on my birthday and she, she, she said do you want to carpool together? Do you want to ride to to school? Commute from Because I knew his
1: brother. I didn't just, like, look up his phone number in the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> I knew his brother. Um, and so, yeah, I called him to see if he wanted to commute. And um, we ended up never commuting. And we went to, like, a modern dance or something for extra credit for one of my classes. Um, and then we stayed up all night talking and sitting on his front porch and just enjoying each other. And, um, yeah, that was we moved in like two months after that. And my mom was like, what are you doing? This is insane. That's a terrible idea. Um, but it was a good idea.
0: So, so what in this relationship, you know, obviously relationships moving forward, you fall in love and, and talk, talk to us about the point where you say like, let's start a business together.
2: Yeah. So I think what happened was that Katie and I were just so into spending time together. Like, we were just carving out any excuse or opportunity to hang out. And, you know, we'd study together. We would um, go to the gym together. But, you know, we ended up having to always go our separate ways for work. So we're like, hey, I got an idea. What if we work together? Then we could hang out even more. <laughs> we could talk more and listen to music together and just have fun all the time. And so that was the genesis of pretty much, hey, do you want to be my business partner? Because you're my life partner, and I think this could work. And so we started a commercial recycling business in Austin, which at the time, Austin provided residents with uh, recycling options, but no businesses, condos, or local restaurants had it. So we created that market, and at one point in time, we were servicing probably about 30 different accounts, and it was not... um, Romantic at all? We busted our asses. I mean, there was multiple times where either rats would fly out of containers, um,
1: milk jugs exploding in your face, like yeah. because of like such high bacteria compression, sure. like explosion.
2: Yeah, glass was always getting stuck in our hands. Yeah, um, one time, I mean, there was multiple times that like a barrel, 200 pounds of recycling glass, would fall out of the truck on the highway, yeah. and we'd have to like stop there and pick it up. It was dangerous it was tough
0: and so from that business at some point you decide okay let's move on (laughs) so we're going to potentially a a more interesting space and talk about your first your
2: first venture a cpg yeah um so we were getting really into endurance sports together and that was that started when we just wanted to spend more and more time together outside so we were going on like 100 mile bike rides uh, Katie is a natural badass she won her first Ironman race we, all, we have this history of doing everything to the extreme so we were like hey you want to do an iron or you want to do a triathlon sure let's sign up for an Ironman <laughs> and and so we did it Katie won and we were um, spending more and more time together outside training obviously eating was a really important part of that lifestyle and so we thought hey let's make a energy bar company Uh, That fuels our own needs and our own adventures. And so we launched this brand called Thunderbird Energetica, which was a vegan raw food bar at the Kona Ironman World Championship race. What year was that?
1: Mm, 2011?
2: Yeah, 2011. We had brought samples, you know, from the mainland to the island and we were handing them out. We were like, we had chalk and we were drawing Thunderbird logos on the streets where all the athletes were going to be racing and We had made jerseys and shirts and hats, and we didn't know what we were doing. Ultimately, I think (laughs) Thunderbird was our um, opportunity to learn about consumer packaged goods, and we made so many mistakes, but that was good because we learned from our mistakes. And it was really a creative medium for us to express ourselves, which we hadn't been able to do at that point in time, up until that point in time. Katie was doing art for a really long time. I was always into music, and I was a musician, and... We kind of like lost that ability to communicate how we felt, and so we started a consumer package good company that was really fun and a reflection of ourselves.
1: While we were also working like full time jobs, you're going to school full time. So Taylor's actually a physical therapist um, while doing this Thunderbird product, um, and I was I was in school. I was getting my doctorate in counseling psychology. Wow! And so it was when we started actually selling. A significant amount of product that we were like let's quit school let's quit our job and like go for it um, and I was like obviously a big decision but those two things were like killing our souls sure So,
0: and at some point you so you're essentially vegan if I remember correctly and at some point you start to not feel so hot
1: yeah yeah so training for all these races you want to optimize your body um, and conventional wisdom at the time was telling us like you need to consume a lot of carbohydrates in order to fuel yourself um, and, and so you know like we would do the standard carb loading prior to a big day on the bike um, and we just weren't feeling very good and so we were like well maybe we're just not eating clean enough like let's clean up our diet. Sure. Um, and cleaning up our diet to the world at that time meant like going vegetarian and that wasn't making me feel any better. And so it's like, well, maybe we're not going clean enough. Let's go vegan. And so then we went vegan and we were still, weren't feeling good enough, especially me. And then it was like, well, let's go raw vegan. And that's where the raw vegan energy bar came, um, into play. And, and then it was like, well, maybe we should be juicing. And so, you know, like we just kept going more and more and more extreme. Um, as Taylor said, we're pretty extreme. Like if we're going to commit to something like we go to the, the very edge of of all the limits. Um, And so, yeah, I just got to the point with this like raw vegan diet where like my body was breaking down in so many different ways. Um, I was having, like, stomach issues on a daily basis, literally at, like, 3 o'clock every afternoon. I could guarantee that I was going to be completely debilitated. Like, I I couldn't exercise. I couldn't study. Like, it was like, okay, it's almost 3 o'clock. I better go home because I need to sit on the couch because it's going to be a wreck for the rest of the day. Um, Like, my stomach was just awful. And then I had really bad inflammatory issues too. Um, At one point, my knee just... Out of nowhere, like blew up into like this huge elephantitis-looking type knee, um, which was a huge issue if you need to ride a bike because I literally couldn't <laughs> bend it to a ninety-degree angle. It was so inflamed, um, and I went to like every health practitioner that I could have possibly visited in Austin, um, and I was I was put on rheumatoid arthritis medication. Um, I was told I needed a total knee replacement. Um, I was given exploratory knee surgery like it was a mystery to everyone Nobody could figure out what was going on and nothing was fixing it um, So it wasn't until I went to a holistic health practitioner who? Basically said like well, what are you the first person to say? What are you eating? <laughs> um, and you know, I told him like well, yeah, I'm so clean. I'm eating a raw vegan diet and he's like well, maybe that's maybe that's where we start and um, and he basically recommended that I transition my diet to what's now considered paleo, but he's like, you need to cook your vegetables, you need to remove all the grains, because I was doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of grains because I was vegan. Sure. Um, you need to remove the soy and the dairy and start incorporating grass-fed animal protein back into your diet. And Taylor and I are super extreme. And so we were like, all right, tomorrow, tomorrow's the day, <laughs> we're starting this tomorrow. And we had, we had just finished a um, half Ironman and we found out that all, all this information from this doctor and we were like okay and so like on the way home we were like researching like what are we gonna cook what's it gonna be what's our new lifestyle gonna be like and we went home and we bought a steak and um we boiled it which is not how you cook meat <laughs> um we learned a hard lesson there and it was super gross don't do that but I think maybe it was like the next day or something we made a hamburger and then bacon and then we like Found all this delicious meat and it changed our lives
0: you started to feel better Like how With, how soon did you start to like notice the difference and recover fully
1: within four days? My stomach issues were completely gone. Wow like 100% gone and within two weeks my knee that was it was huge um, had completely healed within two weeks just food alone. So I wasn't on any medication or, and the surgery that I did didn't do any, I mean, it was just exploratory. So, so yeah. And so
0: in this phase, like you've radically changed your diet, you heal, like food is medicine, unbelievable. Some people, you know, everyone's unique and gotta find what works and clear what you were doing, wasn't working and you found what worked and and that's fantastic. Uh, When do you decide like, okay, there's a, there's an opportunity here. In terms of a new business.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think all the businesses that we have ever put together haven't been like, ooh, there's this gap in the market. Sure. Let's go fill it. <laughs> it's been more like, what do we want and what do we need? And how do we make sure that our needs are met? Um, and so that was how the Thunderbird Bar came about. And then for Epic, it was like, once we transitioned our diet, we were still endurance athletes. And so we would cook up like a pound of bacon and put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in our back <laughs> pockets. And at like mile That's ninety, it's a lot of bacon. It's a lot of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it must be
0: very popular with like the dogs, like at <laughs> Like traveling. all the pit bulls are yeah. running
1: after us on our bikes. Um, no, I mean seriously, bacon at like mile ninety-five of a hundred-mile bike ride is will bring you back to life. Like truly, it's like the most amazing thing ever. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were, we didn't have conveniently packaged food for our long bike rides and our, our long hikes and runs. And so it was like, we didn't have any preconceived notions of what you could or couldn't do with animal protein. And so we had this raw vegan energy bar and we were like, well, can we just make this meat? Like, yeah, let's just put meat. <laughs> why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's put meat in a bar form and put it in a Yeah. Bag. Well, it makes sense that
0: everyone had like sticks. Like there were. Yeah. And and like your typical like jerky, but no one did just a different form of
1: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 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 you know the sticks or whatever that were out there, we we didn't believe in their in their land management and animal welfare practices. And so we didn't want to support them anyway. And so we're like, we just need to make something that we believe in and that we're we're comfortable consuming.
0: So when was like Epic born?
1: When? Yeah. 2013.
2: Yeah, we wow. launched Epic in March of 2013 at Natural Products Expo West. It's the Mecca. Yeah, we yeah. showed up <laughs> to the Super Bowl and we won. It was like a dream come true because we we literally had been developing this brand and this idea under the radar, and no one knew what we were up to. We just came, showed up. You had your had, little booth. You yeah, had this lower level, pretty badass yeah. little booth in the Sweet Zone, and um, and it was just like. I mean, within hours of that show starting, we knew that we were onto something huge, and we had you know commitments, um, interest from some of the largest natural grocery retailers in the country. The two biggest distributors in the country had already came by the booth, saying, "How much of this can we get, and how quickly can we get it?" And um, we just said yes to everyone. We're like, "Oh yeah, (laughs) done. Yeah, this yeah, we we
1: can do that. Sure, hook you up.
2: Sure." Uh, But the fact was, we rolled up to that show. And the product that we were actually sampling, we had put together in our hotel room, I was at Airbnb and the packaging wasn't even functional. So the samples that were on the table, people were taking them off the table. And after the show, we figured out, oh my God, that was faulty packaging. Oxygen is getting in that bag.
1: All of the bars had like, you
2: know, what happens (laughs) when natural meat meets oxygen? Well, it's pretty ugly. And so, uh, you know, it was, yeah, fake it till you make it for sure. And so from there, like it was a pretty
0: wild like I, I remember when you guys I don't remember expo, but I just remember all of a sudden around that time frame, just like seeing your brand like everywhere. It's like, Oh, this is interesting. Like happy like the packet, like the packaging was interesting too. Something you talk about, like you put animals on the product. Mm-hmm. Very and talk about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Any any expert in branding or marketing. At that point in time when i said hey if you put an animal on an animal product that's the worst thing you could possibly do because consumers they don't want to see that they don't want to know what they're eating um and we thought that was the opposite so backward exactly like
1: i'm sorry you don't want to see it but we are consuming animals and we are going to make sure that you know that and we're going to honor those animals by putting them on our package in an anatomically correct format um you know like uh, at the time you would look at any meat packaging or dairy packaging and they'd be like cartoon animals. And it's, it's, it was disrespectful. Um, and so the way that we thought about our branding was like, how can we really honor these animals that have sacrificed for, for our consumption?
0: I love that. Do you think being vegan like definitely Made you think about in a way that be like more conscious around like, okay, like here's a choice Here's that I understand what I'm doing. Like it is an animal like I want to be respectful and just like your philosophy On animal products in general, like just talk about that. It's really unique and i like segue to like regenerative ag and yeah there,
1: For sure. I mean when when we were vegan, I mean Part of being vegan was because we thought that it was cleaner. But part of being vegan was that we couldn't afford meat, um, and especially we couldn't couldn't afford high-quality meat. And we had seen what CAFO operations look like. If you drive through New Mexico, it's hard to not pass a confined animal feedlot operation. Um, And you can smell it. You can smell it from 20 miles away. Um, It's disgusting and so disrespectful, and just it goes so far against our values and what nature is. Um, And so when we came out with a product that was meat-based, we had to...
2: Yeah, I mean, we have more in common with vegans than we do carnivores. For sure. For sure. sure. I mean, we have mutual appreciation of land, respect for animals, concern for human health. And so that was a foundation that I think was a new perspective, a new attitude and a new view on the whole meat category. Because forever and ever it had been like preservatives, low quality feedlot animals. Mm -hmm. And we were saying, hey, we're not going to argue with you if you don't want to eat meat. We chose not to eat meat for a while, but we're going to give people who do want to eat meat a better option. And so we called these people conscious carnivores or conscious omnivores. That was kind of a term that we were using early on. We Mm -hmm. use that a lot here. Yeah. yeah, it's on it awesome.
0: terms. It's like you're making, you're consciously making a choice mm-hmm. of being aware of what you're putting in your body. Yeah, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And being a carnivore is actually, um, you know, like as a vegan, you sort of just like eat plants and you eat this and that. And um, being a carnivore and being really conscious about the animals that we consume, it's really made me more conscious about the the vegetables that I consume. Like they too are sentient beings. I mean, it's not really something that I thought about as, ve- sure. as a vegan, um, and so, that's sort of incorporated into my new food philosophy.
0: Yeah, like as you guys talk about land, you know, where you stand today, you're, you're definitely innovating in terms of regenerative agriculture and just like perspective on buying and cattle and just talk people about like how that started, and I'll segue to General Mills and, and what you guys are doing there and how you're pushing them to innovate but like talk about your philosophy on land and regenerative agriculture and like really looking at food and your product as a way to
2: kind of really help save the planet (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean for us we, we formed a really early connection that changed our life which was you can't have nourishing healthy animals without nourishing healthy soil and so everything starts there i love that can you repeat that that's a good one yeah and it even goes a (laughs) layer it goes a layer deeper too so you can't have healthy consumers if you don't have healthy green growing plants that live and thrive in healthy soil and so we we recognize that we recognized this piece that was pretty earth-shaking at the time in our segment of the market but it was like hey animal health and wellness is very important and we think Healthy animals create healthy humans, the end consumer. But no one was talking about the soil piece, which was like, duh. So once we realized that, that changed our life. And um, we came across a TED Talk by a guy named Alan Savory. Mm-hmm. And Alan Savory is this brilliant ecologist who, um, he's actually from Zimbabwe. And he was a, um, a park ranger, right? He was managing thousands of, of of acres um, and he was actually looking at the degradation of land at the time. He thought it was due to um, elephants, hundreds of thousands of elephants.
1: He thought it was due to. Um too many elephants. So like, just Just
2: blaming the elephants. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like how we blame cows. Right. (laughs) Right. And so he, and so the solution, which, you know, some people say here in the United States is okay, well, yeah, if animals are bad for the environment, let's remove them all. If our land's being degraded, let's take the animals off the land so they don't overgraze it. So he culled something.
1: 40,000 elephants,
2: which was hard for him because he loves wildlife. He's big into natural ecosystems. And when he culled those animals, the land actually got worse. And so that was a light bulb for him where, you know, reflecting the greatest, most nutrient-rich soil where we grow our food today in this country, those lands have co-evolved with massive herds of migratory animals. So you look back in, you know, 200, 300 years ago, there's 40 million bison on the Great Plains, 20, 30 million elk wow. with them. Um, and that's pretty incredible. And so we actually have fewer animals grazing on pasture today than we did 200 years ago. But our soil was more nutrient rich even two generations ago, right? Like you can see, we have to eat eight oranges to get the same nutritional value that our grandparents' generation would have had to get out of one orange. And so,
1: we have to eat twice the amount of meat to get the same nutritional value as you would have two generations ago.
2: And that's because these, all, these natural ecosystems that are symbiotic where these big herds of ruminant animals come, they disrupt the soil, they urinate, defecate, which is fertilizing it, their hoofs aerate the soil, um, their bite and their physical presence on grasslands actually stimulates further root growth, which grass is like the superhighway for sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere, putting it back into the soil where it belongs. So it has huge implications for climate change and some of the other critical threats that, are fa- that our civilization faces right now. And so we believe that when you can manage animals in appropriate ways that you can actually create a net positive return on the environment. And so that's the whole idea of regenerative agriculture. It's using animals as your tools to enrich the environment, heal and restore soil health, build soil carbon, biology, biodiversity, make sure you can have effective use of rainfall. I mean, yeah, right now it's the first time in history that, where we're from, Austin, the city says you cannot. It's not safe to drink the water that comes out of our faucets. We're wow. On
1: like a boil notice. And wow.
2: this is crazy. And this is, and, and it's because um, there's so much erosion. All of the farmland that surrounds our city has been so degraded that it's incapable of actually capturing water. So what happens when it rains? It all f- creates flash flooding, which ends up going into our water system and picks up pathogens and human waste and we can't filter that out fast enough because there's silt and clay in the water and silt and clay are the
1: two of the three components of soil.
2: right so it's soil on our water and it's just crazy because we, you know it takes nature 500 years to build one inch of topsoil but in austin we lost one to two inches in certain areas in a week jesus and so that's critical and, and that's why we think uh, agriculture has the biggest ability the agricultural sector um using a business like epic um to empower and give producers the opportunity to use regenerative practices, that's how we're gonna create large, meaningful impact in the world.
0: I love it. And you guys are definitely making that impact. You know, this year, mentioning Expo West, uh, previously at Expo West in, in March and 18, General Mills, you guys are part of the General Mills family, had this huge statement around regenerative ag it was like very much a statement like if you guys aren't familiar with expo west everyone's got like a booth and they're fancy and they just sample products. like no 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 the booth here was just about it was like a visual storytelling of, of, of regenerative ag and what it meant and i have a feeling you guys played a large role in that which is mm-hmm. amazing and i just want to segue to like go back to so like business is exploding <clears throat> general mills you know, knocks on your door and, and just walk us through like the growth and the decision to, um, you know, sell Mucar the general mills family. And there's a great article in Inc about that and, and selling and the relationship and where it is now and, and how you guys are, are making impact. there. It's something that I'm always, we're always curious about at mind, buddy green and believe like, look like we're all in this to not just preach the choir to build a bigger church. And if you can get the right people at the right fortune 500 companies and involve like, there's some real buying power and an opportunity to change the supply chain that could bring products to underserved areas and, and reverse climate change, all the things. And like I know you guys share that mindset. So just want to like hear about that process and the decision and where you are today. Walk us through that. The Inc. article was great. Sure.
2: Um, golly. General Mills. We were, we were like star-crossed lovers for a long time because at that first Expo West show that we launched at, so many people from Mills kept coming by our booth and taking those samples of the product that we didn't want anyone to eat. It was not food safe. And, um, and then after that show, they kept ordering stuff from our online and you, store. And you stopped shipping. It's like, book that. <laughs> cancel that order. Refund, refund, refund. I mean, we had to have refunded like thousands of dollars. Time. You, you, were, worried that, you were worried they were copying you. Yeah, we, yeah, I
1: mean, at the time we were afraid of big business. We were sure. like, oh, big businesses have money; they can do, they, they can do anything. Um, they could do it better than us, right? Um, and so we were terrified that they were just going to like R and D the shit out of it, and we would be out of business in no time. Um, but it turns out they were interested in what we were doing, and. Uh, come to find out that big businesses aren't necessarily very fast and innovative and they don't know their consumers as well as small businesses might. Um, and so they're like, we really like what y'all are doing.
2: Yeah. And before we, we had some further, so it was about three years until we connected with mills again. And in that three year time span, we had like three other multinational big corporations tried try to acquire Epic. One was like, maybe four months after we had launched. Wow. Which was crazy. I mean, we don't ever talk about financials or anything, but I just think it's interesting. We had launched, and like this was maybe five months after launching, and, and they tried to buy Epic for $2 million. And so for us, that was more money than we could have ever imagined in our lifetime, right? And You made the right decision. We made the right decision, <laughs> A, because all these other companies that we talked to sucked, and all they cared about was... EBITDA, which I still don't even know what that is. Just ask somebody who knows more about <laughs> finance. <laughs> but they were always asking about like margins and returns and exit strategies. And we're like, no, they don't fucking get it. Like That's not what we're about. We're about driving impact, driving change. And so when Mills invited us out to their headquarters, it was myself, um, our CFO, COO, Robbie, who's like our right-hand man, right or die partner, and then Katie. And we literally, like, I had a GoPro the whole time. We were making a mini-documentary about it. Like, we thought it was just. We thought it was
1: going to be hilarious. I just wanted to show the video to, like, my mom. <laughs> yeah. We
2: thought we we're going to, like, walk in and there's going to be all these obese, maybe um, white guys in suits smoking cigarettes, just not our people. And we were completely wrong because we got in there and, like, people were actually really passionate, very young, a lot of genuine users of our product. So that was something that we didn't expect. And on that same meeting, we got invited to the Oval Office, I guess is what we call it, but it's where the board, you know, like it's an $18 billion company. Are... And these are the people running the company. They wanted to meet us.
1: And they have really soft carpet up on this <sighs> Oval Office floor. It's really yeah. weird. Like you, you step out of the elevator and you're like, oh my God, it's so soft and cozy. And you should get this
2: for our booth at Expo. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: this would be so nice to stand on for three days straight.
2: <laughs> but it was awkward because we weren't expecting to meet these, these guys who are just brilliant people. Right. Um, and we were like wearing flip flops and ball caps and just like t shirts. And we got up there, you know, thinking this was going to be super uncomfortable. And we sat with them, and they all we talked about was values, mission, and impact. And someone asked us, What's your legacy going to be when you, you know, when you guys are off the face of the planet? What is Epic going to have accomplished that made the world better? And it's kind of like right there, I'm like, oh, man, I actually like these people. Yeah. You're getting pissed. Yeah. You're like, so what did you say? What is your answer to that?
0: It's a good question.
2: Yeah. Um, we have three legacy goals at Epic that we start. I mean, we wrote these down probably on the back of a napkin when we started the brand. And one was to support um, the regeneration of a billion hectares of land by the year 2025. Isn't That's that a lot that? of hectares. Explain what a hectare is.
1: <laughs> <Should
2: I>? <laughs> <laughs> that's what ranchers say. I know. That's like,
1: I'm like,
0: oh, it's like I am like ran- so
2: point? it's like mile. It's like a well, it's like rancher a, term. Look at a, a hectare is maybe like ten acres or a hundred acres. Got it. Okay. It's just massive. It's like bigger than our language. Sure. Here. Got it. Right. Like okay. We own a ranch that's like seven hundred acres, and that's like not even close to a hectare. So we wouldn't even say hectare. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let's, I think we're <laughs> we'll come back to the hectares. On hectares. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so that's number one. Oh, yeah, number one. Um, Number two was um, directly, so that was working with the Savory Institute in that partnership, um, and that was truly regeneratively managed land. And then another goal of ours was to directly impact and convert suppliers that were farming or ranching conventionally and take a million acres of conventional management to grass-fed pasture based systems. So the last one, people will say, like, there's not enough to go around. Yeah. What's your answer to that? Um, that's really interesting because we get that asked that all the time. I know. <laughs> um, and I love, there's actually a report by the Stonebarns Institute where they looked at um, existing agricultural land in the United States. And they looked at all beef production done in this country. And they found out that if we could increase the productivity of our existing land today by only 20%, that we could grass finish and grass feed every single beef cow in the United States, which is massive. So,
1: And when he says productivity, he means the production of grass. Yeah,
2: yeah, so point in case, it's not do we have enough land, but it's are we managing the land appropriately? And I mean, we have some suppliers that have been managing regeneratively. Year over year, they're seeing 20% increase in productivity year over year, right? And obviously that gets smaller, the longer it's under management, the change is less each year. But it's huge. I mean, if you can have twice the amount of bison or cattle on your land, just because you're growing more grass, then you're going to do a lot better economically, and you're going to be doing a lot better ecologically as sure. well. So
0: what's it like for two clearly mission driven entrepreneurs to sit inside a conglomerate?
1: We don't really do that.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know not. You don't sit inside physically, but okay. you're part of a okay. conglomerate.
1: I thought you meant physically, and I was like, we do not. No, no, do no that. you guys are in
0: Austin. They're in Minneapolis.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. You know, um, we're we're trying to make an impact on a larger company, um, and that was one of the primary reasons why we partnered with Mills. Was, you know, like as Epic as a small company, like what can our impact really be? Um, but with a big company, like if mills can make one tiny change, they could, that would, that would be like 10,000 times the impact that we would have as Epic. So how can we influence them to make those one tiny change and then that have a ripple effect? And we're starting to see that. I mean, three years ago when we were acquired, we sat in their sustainability office, which they might've changed the name of now because we were like, dude, you guys can't use the word sustainable. Like sustainable is not good enough.
2: Yeah. It's lame. Yeah, and don't, <laughs> What's the right word? Uh, regenerative, restore, right? Because if you think that all of the land in this country has been degraded. Um, you don't want to sustain that. You don't I want mean. to sustain it. You want it. to reverse it. If we're losing <laughs> right. the nutrient value of our food and we're losing habitat and biodiversity and water infiltration, why the fuck do we want to sustain that? Right. So we have a, a, a one of our ranching partners named Will Harris out in southern Georgia. His, like, famous quote is, like, you want to do his accent?
1: Oh, well, I don't know what quote you're going okay. with. He's like, he's, <laughs> like <laughs>
2: sure. he's like Yosemite Sam, or yeah, or Foghorn Leghorn, and he's like, "Sustainability was good enough until our ancestors fucked everything up." Yeah. <laughs> right. So if it's a functioning ecosystem, yeah, we'll sustain that all day. But um, what's yeah, romantic? So really, like challenging consumers to really think about using that word sustainable, especially if you're using it to market your product or to add positive attributes to your brand because that's pretty weak that's like saying 100% natural and like giving yourself a high five so now you know the brand
0: is significantly larger obviously than than it was when you launched and and have access that others may not have being you know being part of the general mills family like where do you see like where's epic going like, where do you guys want to be in a year from now, three years from now? I never say five, because I'm like, I don't know what five, I don't even know where I'm going to be in five <laughs> no, years. Like, three, three, I can kind of, like, you know, venture a guess. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, what, what,
2: what's the vision? You sound like Katie. That's what she always says when people ask her that question.
1: I know. I'm like, you must not be evolving. <laughs> <laughs> you think I know where I'm going to be in
2: five years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's, um, you know, we love the brand. It's a reflection of our own values and our own mission. And we started the company, and we... We had a really rough ride for a long time, so right now we're at this critical point where I feel like we've paid our dues and worked our asses off, and we're just starting to do some really amazing things and drive big change, so I hope we're both involved in three and five years. I would be honored to still be a part of it right now, but um, that's not only up to us.
1: But where the brand is going, I would say... Is that where you were getting? No.
2: Yeah, both.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I would say where the brand is going is towards more regenerative, right? Um, we just launched um, a product with a brand new verification seal. So a consumer can pick up our package and feel um, confident that the package that they're holding and the meat that's in that package has made the land better. So it's called Land to Market and it's an outcomes-based verification seal. Um, And so it's the first of its kind. It's literally the only verification out there that says, like, this product has positive impacts on the soil, on the land. Um, And so we we literally just launched that. And so over the next, like, three, five years, I mean, Epic, in order to evolve, it has to continue to convert and transform our other product lines with that verification model in mind. I
0: love that. How do you think about product lines? Are they, like... Interesting new SKUs or products or categories you're thinking about?
1: Always.
2: Yeah, always. Always. I mean, one. But I f- can't tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one for me that's just really exciting is, is just like the whole breakfast category and starting your day. And how do you do that in a way that's similar to the convenience that Epic has already always provided, like the convenience and sure. the high quality protein? And so we've really been racking our brains on on creating a product that is just so disruptive and innovative for that whole breakfast notion in that category. And we've come up with some cool ideas, and I think we're gonna land in a really good spot. And so that's probably what I'm most excited about from an R&D perspective. When will we see that in market?
1: Mm, I think by the end of next year.
2: So end, yeah. of, end of
0: 19.
1: Oh, I mean, if it were old Epic, it would be faster. <laughs> but it's General Mills Epic. And so it's a little bit slower. There's a little bit more process, but hopefully by the end of next year. Yeah.
2: General Mills Epic, it's like, it's probably going to chase better and be better right off the bat, but sure. it's also going to take three times longer.
0: So what, what are other like yeah. categories? Like there's so much happening in the natural world and CPG, like what's interesting to you what categories what products what brands like what do you say like oh wow huh maybe not for not maybe not for epic per se but like that's cool that's interesting
2: like i'd be doing that yeah um i'll say one category that i've started seeing some disruption on that i just think is genius and brilliant and katie and i i always told katie like if epic fails if it just like one day it goes away, and we have to do this over again. What we have to do is we have to start a baby food company, <laughs> but we have to um, incorporate healthy fats into the baby food. And that's something that blows my mind. Uh, we have a little girl named Scout, and so going through this whole process with her and Katie breastfeeding Scout, like her diet for the first part of for the majority of her life has been high fat, no like very low carb, high protein. And then whenever you transition to these baby food packets, like, oh, here's some sugar and here's some carbs and no fat, no protein, which is like opposite, inverted, of what they would naturally be eating. And uh, so there's a company called Serenity Kids who's doing grass-fed freaking meats in baby food packs for like one-year-olds. And so it's high-fat, super clean ingredient labels. They have like beef and bison and chicken. I just love it. So for me, yeah, the category would be kind of like, The high fat category, low carbohydrate. Really excited. So high fat everywhere. Yes. High fat options. High fat options. High fat marketed as a positive attribute. Do you think? What do you think about keto? Man, we've done keto.
1: (laughs) We did keto before we did Epic because we wanted to know who, what a diabetic consumer would um, be looking for, and like what their day would look like in terms of consumption. Um, in an ideal state, without medication, um, and so we did this ketogenic diet, and we were literally like pricking our finger, testing our ketones. We were truly on You're a keto. Really testing it. We were on a real ketogenic diet, not like this fake keto thing where people are just like eating a lot of high f- fat foods, sure, um, and then calling it keto. And so, anyway, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> you think keto
0: is a fat or a trend, or is it like? Uh...
1: I think the fact that my mom has tried keto makes it. <laughs> um, a fad, <laughs> but I think high fat is a critical dietary lifestyle sure. um, that that is it should be more of a trend.
2: Yeah, it's it's an it's going to be an underlying trend yeah. that that might go that might have to go through some Rain names, some, sure, some sure.
1: dorky keto names, right? And that <laughs>
2: happened with paleo too. It's like totally. Atkins and well,
0: people go too heavy where it's just like I'm eating meat and nothing else, yeah. and like you need. Vegetables. And you're like, why do you not yeah. feel good? That's so weird. <laughs> what is your philosophy like? And it, well, before I go to like what, what your philosophy on food is today and how do you guys eat, Like any other like interesting trends or, or products out there? Or on the flip side, anything you're like, ugh, God.
2: Are you done yet? Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. Oh. What was Were you going to do bad or good?
1: Okay, I was going to do both.
2: Okay. I'll, let's start with good.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Go
2: ahead. Okay. I love uh, grain-free foods, and so I love um, Siete. Out of, sure, yeah. Out of Austin. Our
0: friends from Austin. Yeah, we have so friends. Family. The Garza <laughs>
2: family. Uh, they need
0: to make th- thicker chips. Like restaurant-thick yeah. chips. I go so heavy on the guac.
2: Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm a little too aggressive, maybe. <laughs> have you
1: tried their new cashew, ca- cashew queso?
2: Yeah, we had it at Revitalize.
1: Oh, duh, of course. Yeah, it launched okay. there. That was yeah, the first time I saw I it.
2: Yeah, um, they're super legit. Picnic, which is another awesome yeah, Oh, yeah. God. I yeah. just love them. They're doing they uh, ready-to-drink butter coffees. Um, they're awesome. Those are my two crush brands that are evolving. And then there's one that's so small called Mammoth Creameries, and they're basically doing keto ice cream. Again, maybe it's not called keto ice cream a year from now, but the guy who invented it, uh, he actually works at Epic, and it's, he's a type 1 diabetic. And so it's an ice cream that his wife developed for him where it doesn't Affect his insulin, so oh, he can wow. eat buckets of this stuff, and it's so delicious, <laughs> and it's so creamy, and it's like traditional. I think it's high gonna fat. be huge. Yeah, so, wh- what, what really are the ones thing. you 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 wish they would go away?
1: There is this fucking um, honey company, like quote unquote honey, and I think it's called like Bee Free Honey or something like that, and it's a bee free honey.
2: What is fucking? How do crazy. you do that? First you of all, you mix
1: like sugar and. Apple juice. Yeah, together. it's just like
2: high fructose corn syrup.
1: But it, it pisses me off so bad that they are saying like, let's remove, basically remove bees from our ecosystem. Bees are responsible for so much of our food production system in general. Um,
0: there's there's a great line you mentioned bees and sugar. Uh, Doctor David Perlmutter has been on this podcast and he was at Revitalize and in 2016 had this great quote. It doesn't matter if your bees are meditating in an ashram. It's still sugar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yes.
0: Um, okay. So you also met, so you guys are parents mm-hmm. and you're entrepreneurs. So like, what does that look like now? Like, how do you find balance? Is balance even a thing? Like Colleen and I will talk, we use the phrase we've talked about it here a lot is like, we just fail at balance. We call it work-life integration,
2: <laughs> like we kind of failed at that. Like what, what, what's your take? Man, i I feel like, um, I feel like we made a really. I don't think we would have brought Scout into this world if we hadn't had sold the business to General Mills. Because when it when every single day and our the future of our employees and our own livelihoods could go away at a moment's time, that was way too much stress to carry, and we were so even that growth. It was that. In that hyper hypergrowth, it was that it stressful was really we were intense. way because wow. because we had so much hyper growth that we all recognized how much potential our brand had had and it was like okay so now we're clear category leaders like we're inventing we're pioneering a new space more pressure is on us now sure. to get it right um and so yeah so we i feel like right now i'm so glad we have scout but i um It wouldn't have happened if we were still an independent business. It would have just been too much stress and too cruel to bring a baby into the world. I don't think that I would
1: have even been able to get pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. Like, my body was just too stressed. Like, getting
2: chased by a lion constantly, (laughs) fight or flight or something like that. But, But, no, now, I mean, we've built out a really awesome team. We have, I don't know how many employees, probably, like, 50 employees now. And... Uh, we've built some really good leaders. Um, and so we're we're removed a lot from the day-to-day. We're still there as the spirit animal, the brand, and guiding the mission and the impact and love being present. But we get to spend a lot of time with Scout right now,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is awesome.
1: But, right. I mean, like, yeah, same thing. Like, there's no such thing as work-life balance. And I think that we are all lucky in the sense that, like, we love, love what, what we do. do. Yeah. And so it's it doesn't necessarily feel like I need a – Cut my day at five and leave work, you know, like there's no leaving work because it's always on my mind We're always creating we're always like evolving and thinking of new things, right? Um, and we're always working on new things Um, so like that idea of balance just kind of doesn't exist in our life.
0: Yeah And you can't turn off wellness like I always joke to colleen I'm like I can be married to a quote-unquote civilian who wasn't into this stuff It's like this is life. like it's yeah wellness is life Like I think that's one of the reasons there are so many couples in this space or entrepreneur. Yeah. You can't separate like you can't just like be so passionate about this and it's your life. Wellness is life. It's how you eat, it's how you move and breathe and so forth. And then your your partners like
2: Cow's
0: not potato. into it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> how, how
2: does that maybe it works, but for me I'm like I can do that. I right? know. Yeah, yeah, and consumers they they can recognize the difference too like when there's an authentic story, passionate entrepreneurs and founders driving something that's special and close to their hearts, consumers recognize that all day long. That can't be fabricated. So if you're going to do it, yeah, like you said, you got to commit. You, that has to be your life, and your waking moments have to be focused on that, as well as other things you love, like fitness and family, but you, you can't turn it off.
0: So what do you guys do when you're, like, stressed? Do
2: you have, like, a go-to? Run it Trail running for me, for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Running.
2: Road running or trail running? Or track running? Trail running. Run. Or treadmill running. Treadmill <laughs> running
1: uh trail running <laughs> so, running in place
0: and so getting back <laughs> so to food like how would you describe your food philosophy like how do you guys eat now
1: oh man it's always kind of evolving especially um i mean i guess taylor can describe how we eat right now uh, it's not necessarily how i want to eat which is, <laughs> which is interesting because i think how i want to eat doesn't exist quite yet
2: um, well let's hear both okay yeah we eat um a pretty meat heavy diet Um, I, that's kind of the, whenever I start cooking every night, it's like, hey, what's going to be the animal protein that we eat tonight? And then Katie's usually like, hey, will you please make a salad tonight? And half the time I'll make a salad. And then the other half of the time, maybe we'll just eat like some sauerkraut or some other fermented vegetables or sweet potatoes or something like that.
1: Cauliflower rice. We eat a lot of cauliflower rice.
2: Yeah. Lots of cauliflower rice. Scout
1: eats a lot of avocados, like. A lot of avocados.
2: So does Ellie. Yeah. Kids, they're, they're easy awesome. to eat.
1: Yeah. hmm You can just squish them in your mouth. Yeah. It's perfect.
2: Um, and then, yeah, perfect world, how would you eat?
1: So, okay, so I've been just, like, kind of struggling with the with my produce selections recently um, because, you know, organic on a large scale is, is as destructive as conventional in a sense. You know, like, they're actually having to till more than conventional farmers do
2: it's more destructive on the land not necessarily the body. Um, sure. body right
1: right and so yeah so it's this constant battle i'm like okay do i want to get do i want to buy conventional which might be better for the land maybe or do i want to buy organic which is better for my body but maybe worse for the land because they're constantly tilling because yeah. i can't spray the weeds and such Um, And so in an ideal world, we would start seeing Organic on a large scale that incorporated regenerative practices like no-till and cover crops and intercropping Because at this point, it's it's just it's just monoculture fields. It's basically conventional farming. It's industrialized organic, right? So in an ideal world, I'd like us to get to the point where we can have better produce options
0: You gonna start growing them on your ranch?
1: We do have a garden yeah yeah so talk
0: about your ranch right? like your ranch is pretty you talked about it a little bit the size but like it's some some folks here at my money green have been over there and you're also they, they they came back uh making everyone jealous bragging about the uh the home cooked meal you cook for them Aww. <laughs> <laughs> But like to give people an idea of like how you guys like what i love about you 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 walk
2: the you walk the talk paint a picture of the ranch and like what's going on there yeah, yeah. Funny enough, so we we intentionally bought the shittiest piece of property we could find, which is so funny. It had been on the market for over two years. It was desertified. There wasn't a green growing plant on the whole piece of property. And everyone else that saw that was like, I am definitely not moving my family here, growing food here. This soil is incapable of life. I'm out. And we saw it as an opportunity, like a baseline starting at 0%. And we wanted to challenge that land and use animals as our inputs to make it better.
1: Truly starting at 0%. I mean, the organic matter in our in our soil is 0.5%. And it should be around the 8% range.
2: Yeah, wow. so it's, it's crazy. So um, our first species we put on the land was honeybees. And we have an apiary with about 60,000 honeybees right now. We have the largest herd of bison in Central Texas. So we have 73 animals. We have couple hundred chickens, turkeys, ducks, some pigs soon, but it's multi-species. So all the animals work together symbiotically. Um, They all selectively eat different types of grasses or forbs on the pasture and their presence, whether it's a chicken scratching to help break up compacted soil, or maybe a turkey going over there and moving some bison poop to spread out the fertilizer and get any parasites out of it. I mean, everything is coming back together and Some of the magical things that we've seen out there is just, we have some creeks on the property that um, like when we bought it, they were empty for large parts of the year. But as our soil has become covered, we're more effective at holding and absorbing rainfall, which goes into the aquifer. And these springs are more vibrant, cleaner, um, and more full year round than we could have ever imagined. And our, our area has actually become a wildlife sanctuary. I think we have like 400, Deer that call our place home. Wow! So it's it's amazing in its own sense. We have a couple thousand birds that live. These are wild birds that live with our bison herd. So every time we move our bison, I mean, it's almost like these birds can create a shadow, like a like a solar eclipse or something, um, as they go over the sky. It's that thick, and that's been really cool to see that happen. And it's like an hour outside of Austin, right?
1: About.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm so Austin, one of my favorite
0: cities, where do you guys eat? What are your favorite places to eat?
1: Mm, my most favorite place recently is this place. I always say it wrong. Is it Loro? Loro. LaRoe. How do you spell it? L-O-R-O. Okay. Loro. Yeah. It's a uh, Tyson Cole mm-hmm. who's did like Uchi. It's like a really famous sushi place in Austin and then Franklin's barbecue. Oh, yeah. It's like a fusion between those two guys. They're like super mastermind chefs. Um, and it's, it's quick and delicious and unique, creative flavors. It's just so good. That's yeah. a good
0: one. Do you guys get to bypass the line at Franklin's? <laughs> we just don't <laughs> stand.
1: I don't stand in line for food. That's like, like a I tourist f- thing. So Did you ever
0: go? How
1: do you get the food
2: there? If you stand? What's the I secret? Know, it's
1: it's, you got a Lareau, which doesn't have a line. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's lots of good barbecue in Austin. What, what else is on your list? Um, whenever we have early morning workouts, which you know it's so hot in the summer, so we have to wake up before the sun comes out and get our exercise on. and then we finish these epic workouts starving, and we love to go to the uh, the picnic storefront or the brick and mortar the brick and mortar. Um, where they have like a full menu. yeah, and it's all like paleo, really artisan crafted. they cook in uh, avocado oil instead of any kind of conventional low-quality oils.
1: They have the best bus- they have the best Brussels sprouts.
2: So
0: Brussels sprouts a picnic.
2: Uh, oh yeah, have to try with that with bacon. I
0: know. So.
1: Yeah, there's pork belly in it. It's incredible.
0: So what are your other? Go- I'm always curious about like if if you know bar- everyone thinks barbecue Austin and they immediately think Franklin's. Where do you go if you don't go to Franklin's?
2: Ooh, we have recently found um, at a farmers market.
1: Oh yeah,
2: um, it's like Texas farmers market. They have a couple. Tours in, in Austin throughout the week. But there's a vendor called Mums Food. M-U-M or M-O-M? M-U-M. Okay. And it is unfreaking real.
1: The brisket is incredible. Scout, it like melts in your mouth. And so Scout can just like put it in your <laughs> face <coffee. Yeah. laughs> And Whatever. it's
2: grass-fed Wagyu from West Texas. It's yeah, really it's high like quality. Him. And the guy who's, you know, it's like when Franklin started, this, it's where that guy is right now on his growth That's trajectory. Awesome. But he's he's amazing.
0: So I always close with the, the last two questions. So what, what keeps you up at night and what has you excited every morning?
1: Um, I would say what keeps me up at night are just like these catastrophic natural disasters hmm. um, that are only exacerbated by like our infrastructure system, you know, um, and our agricultural system. But what, ke- what gets me excited in the morning is knowing that there's a solution to that. Um, and that there is hope and that with good people and good intentions and um, a lot of drive, that we can make a big, big impact.
2: Um, I guess I would say I lose sleep. I have nightmares about laboratory-created meat. That's weird because we believe that animals are a critical component of the ecosystem and their impact on the land when managed appropriately is very beneficial. And so for us to try to get rid of that animal impact that's necessary for healthy thriving ecosystems, it's very disturbing. And Um,
1: then, and then replace it with more monoculture crops,
2: destructive monoculture, you know, sure. Which just to elaborate, the monoculture sprayed crops are the uh, raw materials that are put into the laboratory grown meats. Um, And then for me, What gets me excited every morning is um, I just think that the organization, the Savory Institute, is just changing the world. They're true leaders, um, educating, working with ranchers. They're still producer-first oriented, where they're actually going out on landscapes internationally and teaching people how to manage regeneratively. And they just recently developed a program that's scientifically robust and has empirical data outcome based that shows regeneration over time. So they're walking the walk, the real deal, and uh, I think if more people can get on board with them or similar efforts, we have a really big shot at changing a lot of the critical issues of our civilization.
0: So last question, if you guys could go back in time and give yourself advice when you were first starting out as entrepreneurs, what advice would that be?
1: What, why are you They're (laughs) staring at
0: each other like, who's gonna take this one?
1: I, I'm probably, this is a terrible answer, but I, um, I wouldn't change anything about our path. And so taking, like, if I would have taken advice, we wouldn't have hit, like, all the different journey points that we did. And so, um, but advice that I give other people is to not take money from shitty people.
0: That's good advice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, like, only take money from people that you would have dinner with or hang out with or whatever?
2: Oh, I got a good one, actually. Okay, go. And this is one, too, that we, we give people advice. And we even think about with Scout and our kid. But it's like my advice to myself, I mean, Katie and I, had we were in school for so long. Mm-hmm. And we were like undergraduate, graduate, doctorate. I mean, it was insane. And so I would just challenge myself and say to be really successful in life and to be really happy, it's more important for you to go experience the world and find the things that you're passionate about versus being in school for eight plus years (laughs) (laughs) sitting in the classroom right yeah you need to interact with the world to really find out what makes you um what resonates with you and what your purpose is
0: so how do you okay really last question you mentioned success like how do you how do you define success it's a term that a lot of people struggle with
2: yeah i'd say success starts with um more, more for us, it's, it's personal, and so what success looks like for me is that I get to be with my family, and I get to eat the food that I want to eat, um, and I get to surround myself with really inspirational people that give me a lot of energy and that make me look forward to being on this planet and trying to live out the rest of my time here making this place better.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah.
2: Katie and Taylor husband and wife duo
0: behind one of our favorite brands epic thanks so much for being here
1: no thank you for having us thank you awesome
0: thanks guys